Temporary was produced on the lands of the Bijigal, Gadigal, Nungar, Warujuri, and Karuna peoples whose sovereignty has never been ceded. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and those who are yet to emerge. I'm Sison Kim Simang, and this is Temporary. Throughout this series, we've met people who arrived in Australia by boat between 2012 and 2014 in search of safety. Like Hani, the young poet who started her own newspaper in detention, and Elahe, a young mother separated from the family that she loves so much. Together, they're called the legacy caseload, but individually, they're also students, workers, parents, partners, friends, and neighbors living in our communities. So when COVID hit and our government said we were all in this together, what happened to them? We finished recording Temporary back in March 2020, and we were just about to launch when everything changed. Suddenly, everybody was isolated. They couldn't see their family. They didn't know when they might be able to. Um, The news cycle was just chewed up by COVID. And for the first time, many Australians understood what it is like to be stranded, to not be able to cross borders, to not be able to see people you love, and to live under like this weirdly authoritarian government, um, mainly benign, but creepily in charge of every aspect of their lives. And so while we and everyone else processed, temporary was put on hold. Eventually, we got back on track. And as you know, you've been listening to the episodes. Uh, We were able to pull it together. But we wanted to catch up with Sarah Dale, who's the director of RACS. You've heard from her throughout this podcast. And we wanted to talk to her about the year that just was and what we can expect from 2021. Okay. So Sarah, thanks for joining us. Um, So the COVID pandemic has been a real test of our government. When the pandemic arrived in Australia, in a matter of weeks, the coalition, reluctantly, I might add, rolled out increased welfare, job security payments, childcare, et cetera, et cetera. Um, What was the experience of people who are on temporary protection during this period? In a nutshell, people on temporary protection during COVID were left behind. Whilst temporary protection visa holders or CHEV visa holders were able to access special benefit, they're not able to access all those other COVID supports that you've mentioned. More alarmingly than that is many people that are in the process of seeking asylum, those that made applications and are awaiting decisions, they are not even eligible for special benefit through Centrelink. So we're largely left destitute were largely left forgotten and were largely reliant on NGOs and charities supporting them through this crisis as there was no change to any government policies or any government plans or programs for these temporary visa holders who are in our community. And I'm talking tens of thousands of people that we're referring to. It's estimated up to 16,000 children were affected Uh, all of which were forgotten by our government. Sarah, do you feel like it is a case of being forgotten because so much was happening? Or do you feel like there's something deliberate that continues to happen when it comes to temporary protection visa holders? 
I can't accept that it was something that was missed. I know my organisation, we wrote to the government, we wrote to the New South Wales government, and in fact we saw a number of the state governments respond. I'd like to commend the New South Wales government in particular for responding in trying to address some of the need in providing some emergency assistance to organisations to provide to people that had been left behind by federal supports. I can't accept that it was um, a mistake or an oversight. Uh, It was a decision made by the government to not support uh, people in this situation. And of course, that's a decision that has very real implications in terms of risk in a pandemic situation. I mean, I think we've seen what happens to people who are financially insecure when it comes to contact tracing, etc. Do you have any firsthand stories of people who were clients or people that you know who may have fallen through the cracks or who experienced, you know, particular harm that happened during this period? Certainly people that we spoke to were very confused. Uh, Even the government made clear that temporary visa holders or indeed anybody in our community could go and get a COVID test. There was not going to be a check of visas. There was not going to be status determining whether a person would be eligible for that COVID test. However, when you're told time and time again that you're not eligible, that you're not eligible, that you're not eligible, and you are vulnerable and you don't have a good handle of English and you're isolated from the rest of the community, you yourself don't go, well, maybe there is an exception. Maybe there is an exception and I can get a COVID test. When you're told time and time again that you don't belong and that you are not eligible for these supports, you don't look for an exception. Uh, And I do believe that there are many people that were very confused. Uh, The media reported extensively on, you know, there were some issues with the translated materials and the like. It's my position that we did not do a good enough job to support these vulnerable communities to ensure that, one, that they were informed, but secondly, that they were supported. We spoke to many people during this time that had lost jobs. Uh, We spoke to many people that were unwell and worried about what impact COVID was going to have on their existing health conditions. Many of them are not Medicare eligible, so couldn't pick up the phone and contact telehealth and say, hey, I have this condition, what impact would this have on me? People were left to really figure it out themselves or contact charities for support. Uh, And in the Australia that I know, that's just largely unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, what you speak to is the story that we have been hearing time and time again throughout this series, right? This, This idea that you know, Australia continues to turn its back on people and that asylum seekers and refugees continually have to access support from charities, from everybody except state actors, and it's state actors that actually have the obligation towards them. It's pretty astounding. It's incredibly frustrating. If I can, you know, all of this is founded in a policy of deterrence. Well, If somebody can explain to me letting a child go homeless and hungry is a direct prevention of people getting on boats, I just cannot get my head around it. This uh, discussion of deterrence and stopping the boats has absolutely been taken alarmingly too far. We are now in a system of punishment and those punishments continue to extend not only people detained, but now people in the community. And now it's affecting families and kids that have been in our community for eight years. It's 
really alarming and it's actually quite frightening. Mm. So Australia has been commended um, around the world for its response to COVID. And yet, once again, we hear that there are these glaring exceptions, you know, that Australia has a fantastic human rights record, except for these glaring, uh, you know, exceptions. And so it seems that this country once again followed the science, except when it comes to people for whom it has absolutely no regard. That's right. I mean, I myself have family overseas that I'm separated from. I myself have friends in the US and in the UK, and I'm speaking to them on a regular basis. And I know that they're quite fearful of what's going to happen in their countries, given the rise and the increase of COVID-19. And I'm the first person to thank the Australian government for keeping our community as safe as it could, uh, for ensuring that me and my immediate family, we are safe, we are healthy, we can access healthcare. And I constantly remark on how privileged a position that I am in to have access to all of those things. It's just, as you've put it, we've left this community behind. And for what reason? We have the resources, we have the ability We are a kind community. We are a welcoming community. We could so quickly address what is being framed as an issue if we just acted compassionately. Uh, And I had really hoped that COVID-19 might see a change in our mentality towards people. As you've put it, we've all been isolated. We've all been, had our liberties curtailed. Uh, We've all had that experience of being separated from family and an inability to travel. I really hope that that experience might bring some empathy to these communities that have lived this now for decades. As you've heard throughout this series, the people we've met live in permanent limbo. Even if Australia declared them to be refugees today, the best any of them might hope for is temporary protection. They could get what's called a temporary protection visa or a TPV, which lasts for three years. Or they could get a safe haven enterprise visa, a CHEV, which is valid for five years. And when those visas run out, they have to prove that they need protection all over again. So they're stuck in this loop indefinitely. There's a caveat, of course, as there always is with bureaucracies. The government has told people on CHEV visas that if they meet certain requirements, they might be able to get permanent visas. But to date, of course, no one has managed to get a permanent visa yet. Australia's coalition government put these people on what was ironically called a fast-track process. The process is incredibly slow. Some people have been waiting for years even to be allowed to lodge an asylum application. The only thing fast about it is the often quick deadlines that asylum seekers need to respond to at the government's request. Do we know how many people are still waiting for their first visa? The latest department statistics indicate that there are about 4,000 people awaiting a decision in their first application. It's my understanding, though, that many of those people might be at merits review or at other stages in the process. And so, indeed, it's probably around the 1,000 mark uh, for those that are waiting for that initial decision still from the Department of Home Affairs. So, in this period with COVID, do we know if anyone on temporary protection was granted a renewal of their temporary visa? So, certainly, our team at RACS have seen some TPVs be renewed. 
Uh, we saw some visa grants during the COVID period for those that were still waiting their first uh, answer. Largely during COVID, the Department of Home Affairs did try and continue to process people. And, and I must say that I'm, I'm grateful that they did. There are many people who that, that visa have made, has made a massive impact in their life. You went from not being eligible for any supports to being eligible for special benefit, as I've just described. So I was very grateful that some processing did continue. What's frustrating is that there wasn't really any allowance for those timeframes to be met. So people still had three working days, seven working days, 28 days to respond to requests. Uh, It did require us to seek extensions and seek the compassion of the department. And to their credit, they did grant those extensions in a number of occasions where possible but a number of those deadlines were formed in legislation and legislation mm. doesn't have a clause of in the case of a pandemic, this can be extended. So that there was still a lot of that angst in the community. And whilst the department had the power to slow processing in response to the pandemic, people having to respond to their deadlines as formed in law didn't get that same ability to access, you know, that additional support Um, And so that was a real frustration, I think, for us and something that people don't really understand that whilst we were in a pandemic and we were all forced to work from home or, you know, get our groceries delivered and only attend the shops for one hour once a week, people still had deadlines to respond to and there wasn't really any ability for them to uh, go back and say, sorry, I missed this deadline, I was at home isolating Uh, because those deadlines are formed in law and uh, there's no kind of compassion in those those pieces of legislation. Sarah, the government announced its federal budget in October. Um, Was there any relief offered to those on temporary protection as part of that budget? When the budget was announced, I think it's fair to say we were all deeply disappointed. We were really hoping that given what we had seen in the pandemic, given how we had seen vulnerable communities affected, that there may be some additional allowances or supports put in place for temporary visa holders, for people seeking asylum, particularly those on bridging visas. Uh, But unfortunately, there was none. Uh, And as the situation was before the budget, so too is the situation now. What do you think that 2021 looks like for people in the legacy caseload? Do we have any kind of clarity about how the backlog is going to be dealt with and how renewals will be handled? Um, is, there, is there some light at the end of this you know, really difficult tunnel? 2021 will also see us having to renew TPVs and we're also going to see the start of CHEV renewals. So those five-year visas are going to be coming to an end And so we're going to be in a position where we're informed as to whether people went to the regions, whether people met those pathways, and indeed whether the government is going to honour what they said, which is that people will be able to access a pathway to permanency if they've uh, followed those CHEV requirements. I suspect that we are going to come across a number of people that have met that pathway but are not eligible for other visas. 
Those other visas are unobtainable due to their cost, due to the requirements. Uh, And so we're going to be dealing with a community that is going to be very disappointed in the fact that they have done what was asked of them. They have done what was directed to do in order to access permanency. Uh, But my position is that that is going to be largely unlikely for the very many people that we have assisted. Uh, And so we're going to have people that are going to be really frustrated with the system that has largely led them down the garden path. Uh, And so we are going to be ultimately applying for three and five-year visas again for people as they enter their eighth year in Australia. Yeah, I mean, I think, Sarah, this speaks to a really important um, sort of thing that we have learned throughout those episodes of listening to different people's stories that ultimately, you know, what temporary has been is a look at the system. And ultimately, the system is punitive. And the sort of heavy handedness of the law, the way it's structured, you know, to punish people is really the issue. And what COVID required was compassion and a kind of human response uh, and ability to be spontaneous. And that's precisely what the system lacks, which is why we've seen so many people pushed out of it, why we've seen, you know, all of these horrible stories. Um, You know, it feels like if COVID was, uh, you know, a test of compassion, then this is a system that was always going to fail this test. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. It, it really doesn't matter who is the individual minister. The law is the law and this is how it is being applied and this is how it's being drafted. And if we want to treat people compassionately and we want to ensure that people's rights are afforded, it's going to require a look at the visa system. It's going to require a look at the assessment process. My view is we would need to abolish fast track processing immediately if we wanted to ensure people had their rights afforded in this process. Uh, and, and you're right, a pandemic has really brought a lot of that to, to its head. Temporary is hosted by me, Sasankim Simang, and produced by Kara Jensen McKinnon and Miles Herbert, with editorial support from Lauren Martin and Miles Martignoni. Original music composed by Lama Zaharia, mixed and mastered by Ryan Pemberton, with series artwork by Matt Wynn. Temporary is a project from the UNSW Center for Ideas and Caldor Center for International Refugee Law, co-produced with Guardian Australia and inspired by the book Refugee Rights and Policy Wrongs by Jane McAdam and Fiona Chong. The podcast is accompanied by a digital storytelling project, which further explores the lives of the people interviewed in this series and is linked in the show notes. this story has raised any issues for you, please know that help is available. Contact Lifeline on 131114.